The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I am your host, Easter Bunny Boy Tom, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, the returning of Jesus Christ, Dan. (laughs) Definitely not going to piss any people (laughs) off with that reference. Comparing yourself to Jesus. Well, I'm saying Jesus returns today, and my name also happens to be Dan. That's definitely what that meant, right? Yeah, I think that's how people will interpret it. Yeah. How are you doing today, Dan? Uh, pretty good. It's Easter. That's when we're recording this for people that couldn't figure that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did some work on the house yesterday, cleaned up uh, the backyard, revitalized the garden, really, really locked up some holes around the house so Dan's dog will stop crawling underneath my goddamn house, and then we have to give her a bath. Yeah, that's happened about four times now, so that's pretty cool. Your dog also tried to randomly run into traffic while we were walking her today. Yeah, that was also pretty cool. This is uh, a lot of home runs coming out of Wendy. Dan's dumb. <laughs> well, I guess let's get to it. As usual, we'll start with some reader mails and corrections before we get into the news. The first one is from Phil. Phil writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, Who is your Borderlands 3 main, and who is Dan's Borderlands 3 main? So mine is... Zane. Yeah. He's the guy with the floating turret. Yeah. Yeah, the floating turret, the ability to teleport around. Really kind of a force multiplier character for like jumping around with an automatic weapon. And I'm Moe's. That's the the uh, Titanfall mech suit. Yeah, the Titanfall mech suit. And I have multipliers for things that explode, basically. Basically, when we start getting screwed over, me and Dan, I'll just create a clone and Dan will jump, we'll deploy a Titanfall mech, and then we'll run away. Yeah. And we're it's pretty hard to kill us at this point, especially because I can, my character can die instead of me. And then also your mech suit can just straight up protect us if you need to revive me. Yeah. So, yeah, we haven't, uh, the new DLC is pretty good. Yeah, we haven't beaten it yet, but... No, we we got the game A Way Out last night, which is a prison break simulator that is only co-op, which I've got to say, I highly recommend this game, don't you? Yeah, if you've got a game, uh, someone to play with, a co-op game with, this isn't a bad time to get that and play it. Yeah, I mean, and we got it, it allows for, on console, couch co-op, so... That's awesome. Like it, it lets Dan sign in as his own PSN profile, sit on the couch next to me, and then like it'll be it's split screen and the resolution's fine. It was clearly built from the ground up to run well. Yeah. Split screen. And like it'll, I'll be like looking and out for a guard while he's like breaking through something. And it's uh and what's really cool is there's a quote unquote trial version of the game, but it's really just the full game. 
And so only one person needs to own the game. You basically own it and then invite someone in and they just still get their own trophies and use their own profile. So really you just need to, sp- and it's on sale now. So it's like seven fifty per person and it's like a six hour game, it seems like. I think we're about a third through it, I'd guess. Yeah, probably. All right, but that's what we have been playing. A Way Out, really recommend it if you've got someone in your quarantine bunker to play with. VI Pass writes in, and he says the Oculus Go is 3DOF. Oculus Quest is only 6DOF standalone system that has full-featured games. So you actually looked up what that meant, and you're saying the Quest is the only one that has basically full head rotation tracking? Yeah, as far as I can tell, it's the only one. So DOF just means degrees of freedom, so essentially the amount of uh, pivot points you can have for turning your head using the headset. Yeah, I don't know if I made a mistake in saying the amount of movement you have. Yeah, I don't know. I know they keep adding more. <laughs> and PSVR supposedly is just going to have like eight cameras on on the app, or maybe 12 actually, on your head so you don't have to set up stuff. Well, I don't know. It's been a while since I've heard anything about that. Yeah, I know. And like, as far as degrees of freedom go, I think six is about the maximum you need for head movement. But... <laughs> All right. Edward Go writes in and he says, hey, Tom, just to note that you can play Sekiro at higher than 60 FPS, although you do have to use this tool, tongue sticking out emoji. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the thing when I play Sekiro is I tend to hook it up to my OLED TV and play it in 4K HDR because it's not a game that I flip on quickly for an hour. It's usually a game where I'm like this afternoon, I'm playing this for four or five hours. I'm going to beat several bosses. And so that's just what I've been doing. So I wouldn't need to use 144 hertz, but I have heard that they have a frame rate unlock, and it's good to know it doesn't entirely break the game. I know the Dark Souls games would just break if you did that. For a while, Skyrim did that at launch without a mod. (laughs) Especially if you played it on the PS3. Uh, I'm not Skyrim. I meant Fallout 4. Oh, remember Fallout 4's high refresh rate? I think Skyrim had high refresh rate issues too, actually. But I remember Fallout 4 at launch, like if you played above one, if you played at 144 hertz, the game basically didn't work. If you played at 120 hertz, it had issues. So they recommended capping it at 100, which I did, which is fine because the frame rates are all over the place in that game, no matter how powerful your PC is. I mean, Bethesda having weird glitches, that's like the most expected outcome for anything possible, I think, is. Stupid glitches in a Bethesda game. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people are putting up with that bullshit from Bethesda anymore. I never understood that when I was younger, like people making excuses for Fallout 3, like, well, it's so big, that's why it looks like a PS2 game. And I was just like, it looks and runs like shit. This makes no sense. Like, there are other open world games, guys. Red Dead Redemption is here. There's no, I and mean, that came out after, to be fair. Yeah. But then, you know, you had Fallout 4 was really when I think specifically there's no excuse. Like, why does this game not run as well as other games? I mean, go play Horizon or Red Dead Redemption or GTA 5. Those games are every bit as big as complex. There's no there's no defense here. I would say like shit. I would say Skyrim would be my cutoff point for when Bethesda should have started getting their shit together, which was I feel like the last game that they really did forget people were super forgiving to them. But. Well, Skyrim, I still feel like didn't really have any competition. That's true. I, I, yeah, I suppose that's true. But it was, I still, but, and, and I think it ran better than Fallout 3. It certainly looked better. Oh, yeah, it definitely looked so better. So I don't think, you know, I, I think there, I think Skyrim's graphics were fine. I don't think there was, it didn't work sometimes, but it had <laughs> less bugs than the other Fallouts. 
specifically Fallout New Vegas, everyone's like, well, that's the best one. Yeah, but it didn't work for the first year. Yeah. So, yes, it's the best one. That didn't work. Yeah, I mean, that's expected from a Fallout game at this that's point. That's insane <laughs> that that's expected. Well, people won't put up with it anymore. People are doing nothing but giving Bethesda shit right now. Faceplants writes him, and he says, Tom's Hardware mistakenly called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act the DCMA in their first story about the AMD source leak. And now I'm seeing that typo spread everywhere. I know I'm being pedantic. I don't think you are. But this is a community of nerds, after all. It's DMCA. And I I put this reader correction in here specifically because I'm pretty sure I did that, too, after reading that Tom's Hardware article. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't dwell on it. That's my excuse because I didn't do a whole video on it like some people did. But it's true. I did see some rather large articles quoting that over and over. I mean, for I don't know if that's that much of a surprise. I don't know what journalism even is anymore. For fuck's sakes, WCCF Tech couldn't even read a Google Translate of Zen 3 correctly. Did a whole video about how they screwed up an entire report because of that. Yeah, and I'm guessing when people see DMCA, they just are... An assortment of those letters are just like, yep, it's that thing, and probably just copy and paste it without really thinking about the actual acronym. Again, let me be clear about this. WCCF Tech fucking used Google Translate on Hardware Lux, and then the title wasn't correct. Yeah. And they reported everything incorrectly because the title wasn't translated correctly. If they would have read even one paragraph of that article, it would have been correct. Mm hmm. I, I don't know. Journalism, everybody. All right. Well, that is the opening salvo of madness. Let us get to the stories. SK Hynix unveils DDR5 memory details. And I quote from WCCF Tech, the person I just shit on. According to SK Hynix, the DDR5 memory aims to offer more than two times the bandwidth when compared to DDR4 memory. It is stated that moving from DDR3 to DDR4 all the way back in 2013 was only a 33% increase in bandwidth, 1600 to 2133 megahertz. With DDR5, SK Hynix's goal was to achieve more than a 50% increase in bandwidth per DIM. And if you look at the speeds, yeah, I mean, like DDR4 was 1600 to 3200 stated, which is not faster. I had, so we had 1600 megahertz DDR3. I had 2133. Yeah, I didn't Maybe realize it's DDR3 and DDR2 even went up to 1400. So it wasn't that much slower at the end than DDR3. But this is starting at 3200 megahertz and, and aims to get to 8400 megahertz. And I, I believe that we already have DDR4 that's about 4000 megahertz. That's not that expensive. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I also didn't realize DDR4 was went that low. But <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, I mean, my, I had an H and remember. All Skylake and Coffee Lake architectures technically, because it's still Skylake, technically support DDR3L. Mm -hmm. So I remember my first NV13T with an MX150 at 1600 megahertz DDR3L. <laughs> and, and, and going from the MX150 to the 250 and the, the replacement, because the other one went missing, um, I got a more than 50% increase in performance in my games. And it's, it's not because the MX250 is 50% <laughs> stronger. That thing was 20 to 30% stronger. So, yeah. I noticed, and I and I'm glad they're being more aggressive now. Another, so what? It's really about performance this time. I know DDR4 actually lowered power usage by like thirty percent, but now it looks like they're just going down by about ten percent in power usage, and they're instead aiming to because I mean they're already pretty efficient, and now they're just aiming to more than double performance at the top end. Yeah, eighty four hundred thousand, eighty four hundred megahertz. 
and insanely higher uh, stick density. Yeah, sixty-four gigabytes per stick. So, well, yeah, I mean, sixty-four. Yeah, so four times more dense when what DDR three to DDR four was what is it eight to sixteen? I don't know. I'm sure you don't remember. You have to remember they have special sticks that go higher too. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I think this is pretty exciting. And what I want to point out here is I've seen a lot of mm, people say that DDR5 ain't going to save APUs. I don't know why there's these APU haters, but like an example I pulled up before we did this research is so 8,400 megahertz is now faster than a lot of GDR5, most GDR5, and it has lower latency. This will outperform GDR5 at the higher speeds. Now, I don't think DDR5 is going to just be at 8,000 megahertz most of the time, but I think you're getting to, I think you'll have 6,000 megahertz RAM pretty regularly in about a year or two, about two years. And that's GDR5 bandwidth. And it's really worth emphasizing that APUs do not need as much bandwidth. Everything's closer, there's lower latency, and they can access the same piece of information, both from the graphics portion and the CPU portion. They don't need to duplicate and swap data as much. It can do way more with less bandwidth. And so I looked up an example, like for instance, integrated Vega 8 and Vega 11 and Picasso and Zen 1 APUs those had like 44 gigabytes per second of bandwidth and they performed well the vega 11 had more compute units but let's use vega 8 because it's the same amount of compute units as the rx 550 the rx 550 used gdr5 mm-hmm. you know at speeds double what ddr4 had at the time and it performed well actually i think it had 112 gigabytes per second no it had almost triple the bandwidth almost triple the bandwidth of integrated vega 8 and it only performed like 30 percent better so no, like getting DDR5, we're going to have GTX 1070 APUs that aren't that expensive, like in two years. I mean, yeah, the higher bandwidths definitely should help with uh, APU performance, which I think APU perf- APUs are going to start taking over the mid-range more and more. So Because of this, I mean, to the people clinging like, oh, my 1070 is still great. It's like, well, maybe, but APUs are about to be as strong as your 1070. Yeah, especially if... probably. By yeah, next year. I'm curious how common like 8400 megahertz RAM will be. But well, there's already DDR4 above 3200 megahertz. Yeah, that's so. I would point that out. I know when DDR4 first came out, and people were using it with not with Broadwell. Broadwell E used DDR4 and HEDT systems, and I know at the time most people had 2400 megahertz. So with that, which was faster than most DDR3. So I think DDR5 is probably going to start, which most of, there will be 3,200 budget chips, don't get me wrong. Used in laptops, I'm sure, a lot. But I'm sure there's going to be reasonable, well, it'll be more expensive because it's new, but there's going to be 5,000 megahertz sturdy DDR5, pretty much a standard. And that's basically double the bandwidth of what you get in a lot of laptops now. So I think this will allow for, allow for RX 5500 XT performance. Yeah, you know, and yeah, Cezanne won't support this, but like mid next year, late next year, depending on when they bring out some kind of Zen three APU with DDR five support or something. Yeah, hopefully the follow up to I'm guessing the follow up to Renoir would use this, but <laughs> yeah, but I I think this is really um, exciting, and and there's a video I want to do about why they haven't put HBM on APUs yet. What people got to understand is that. Well, here comes DDR5. So they might not put HBM on HBU on APUs again, guys. They might not. Because uh, uh, a 200 millimeter squared piece of silicon that goes into an APU, that's like 50 bucks to make. Mm -hmm. So four gigabytes of HBM 
is 50 bucks. So do you really think it's worth doubling the cost of an APU for what? 50% more performance? And most people buying APUs aren't looking for top-end performance. It's, it's really not a mystery to me why AMD hasn't put HBM in APUs yet. It's just never quite been worth it. I, I, I am curious with HBM if, like, if it will always be the case with HBM, like it will always just be not quite worth it for... Well, it's getting cheaper relative to GDR6, and it's getting cheaper relative to how much cost it adds. I do think they're going to add it, but stop being surprised. And so like, I think they're going to use HBM probably in some of these professional APUs for the server market. And I think you will start seeing those with Zen 4. But don't be surprised. I mean, DDR is getting faster. It keeps getting faster. And unless you're doubling performance while doubling cost, there's no way it's worth it to add HBM when you can use 4,000 megahertz DDR now and 8,000 megahertz DDR5 next year. It doesn't make sense. And even if it is double the cost for double the performance, okay, so who's in the market for a high-end APU that's still probably weaker than a 5700? Yeah. <laughs> We're just not... And, and this isn't an argument against APUs. This is me telling you, I think they think it's worth it to lose 20% performance to make the thing hit the target market better. I, I think APUs are still going to take over. I just think it's not going to immediately take over the high end yet. And if it does, it's probably just going to be because it doesn't need as much bandwidth soon, which it won't. Uh, I mean, especially in 4K. I mean, DDR5 is going to make it so that in 1080p, this performs probably exactly the same as desktop cards with the same compute unit count. I mean, yeah, almost it definitely. Won't game in 4K, but yeah. Anyways. Moving on to a reader mail, Blowy Wins writes in and he says, we are in a new CPU revolution that introduces more cores and IPCs every year, it seems, while GPUs have also increased by 30 to 50% every two years on average for the last decade. Furthermore, for SSDs, PCIe 4.0 brings sequential transfer speeds in excess of 5 gigabytes per second. It brings 7 gigabytes uh, however, there is one thing that has not significantly changed, and that's the, as far as I can tell, it's silently hampering PCs potential. Why is it that SSD IOPS are completely stagnant, and is there any future tech that may change this? So I actually blow you wins. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, IOPS have increased in performance. Yeah, so I did a little bit of looking. It looks like they've kind of stagnated on uh, NVMe a little bit, like Gen 3 to Gen 4. I can't tell if there's much. There doesn't seem to be much of an increase, but SATA. I mean, mine is like forty or fifty percent more than yours. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's enough. Is that not a? There's your fifty percent increase, guys. And (laughs) like from uh, SATA SSDs, there's a. It's like SATA three SSDs to NVMe four point oh Gen four point oh. We have like ten times the IO ops, as far as I can tell. Maybe the PS five will bring an increase in IO ops if. That could be the limiting factor to why SSDs aren't being fully utilized, but on PC. But we'll see. No, but I mean, just in general, I mean, I've seen IOPS go up every year. They they definitely seem to be up. Every SSD I've checked for every build every year is higher than the previous year. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think what you'll find is that budget SSDs haven't gotten any better. But they're not going to like they're going to put the worst like, for instance, SATA SSDs are have maxed out the interface for half a decade. Yeah, like like SATA SSDs are a dead end. So they're going to put the, the 
cheapest, cheapest garbage flash memory in there. And with Gen 3 SSDs, I'm noticing we're starting to get there too. Remember a few years ago, yeah, my friend built his PC, I guess it might be four years ago now. Uh, he is, uh, SSD was almost maxing out Gen 3 capabilities, the one you just got does. Yeah. But I've noticed this year, 2020, a lot of Gen 3 SSDs are slower than last year. And so I think if you want the fastest SSD guys, you got to use the fastest interface. And they're not going to increase IOOPS on SATA because that's the budget lineup. Well, so yeah. If you're only looking at SATA SSDs, maybe that's where this is coming from. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, but you would think if you want the highest end product, you're going to go for the highest end interface at this <laughs> by now. Like, I think people that are going for high-end storage are all getting NVMe drives now. I mean, yeah. I can't honestly believe people even discuss SATA anymore, pretty much. I mean, I have some SATA drives in RAID for storing information on my PC, but it's like the, the NVMe interface, the actual packaging for SATA, uh, for, M, for M.2 SSDs seems yeah. to be cheaper. Like, I, they're, not, they're not more expensive than SATA drives. It's like $10 for quadruple the speed. So I'm not really sure what's going on with people buying SATA drives anymore, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. M.2, they're not expensive. You can get a, I mean, I have one of the better Gen 3s, and those are like $110 when I bought it. And I don't remember how much you paid for your Gen 4, but I don't think you paid. 150 Yeah, so that's one not insane. for 150 Yeah, that's yeah. not insane at all. <laughs> no. Moving on to story number two. NVIDIA's GTX 1650 gets GDR6 because the industry is running out of GDR5. Uh, this comes from PC Gamer, and I quote, NVIDIA appears to have released a new GTX 1650 graphics card without really telling anyone, although it's probably not one on many wish lists. The industry is running out of GDR5, NVIDIA directly said. And so they're saying, so we've transitioned the product to GDR6. And uh, I want to talk about this because that's something I talked about in the 1660 Super came out in the 1650 Super. GDR6, and this is like, I've reported on direct quotes of like bill of material sheets, is like $3 more per gigabyte than GDR5. That's how stingy NVIDIA is being when they sell you a GDR5 card. And I'm thinking it wouldn't be surprise me if... Uh we start to see a reversal on that, like as GDR6 becomes the standard. I mean, GDR5 is a super, it's super so, old. <laughs> it, it debuted, I think, with the 4870. Yeah, that sounds the right. The HD4870 a decade ago, guys. Over a decade ago. It's a mystery where we it took so long for GDR6 to come out, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know why it did. And, and you could see these big bottlenecks in some graphics cards from a lack of bandwidth. And, and so, yeah, that's something I just really want to point out is I just don't get, <laughs> I don't, uh, it's all segmentation. When you see a GDR5 card like the MX350, I could not believe, I couldn't, I cannot believe the MX350 um, <laughs> has GDR5. I mean, it's a Pascal card, so maybe it has to, but I don't know why they bothered. I'm like, two gigabytes of GDR5? Uh, again, that's when I say those cards cost them like 20 bucks to make. And they're like, it'd be 25 if it had 50% more performance. <laughs> it's so stupid. And so 
What's interesting about this is this will probably stop the production of, although Polaris, I've been told, might already not be in production anymore. It's just old inventories they continue to sell. Like this is, I've heard rumors that they might stop making the Xbox One X before the Xbox Series X even launches because it has backwards compatibility. That would be a big surprise. I mean, I guess given that they're going for a more fluid strategy between generations, the, I'm guessing the Xbox One X is just going to stop selling almost immediately after the Series X is debuted. Well, and, and, and you know, it wouldn't be a first. I mean, Microsoft's known for dropping consoles that didn't do well, like a, like it's nothing. Like the original Xbox was produced for three years and then discontinued. But the 360 have backwards compatibility, so whatever. And yeah. that's kind of what I see happening with next-gen consoles. I, I think, I wouldn't surprise me if Sony did something similar. I don't get why you keep producing the PS4 or the PS4 Pro if it has backwards compatibility and they're going to sell it for 400 bucks. Unless they can make like a dirt cheap PS4 model that's like 150 bucks, but if it was 150 but they can't. It uses GDR5. Yeah. <laughs> so no. But yeah, so I don't know why either of them I mean for the both consoles will be I think at most 500. I don't know why you bother with making the last-gen consoles. You're just going to slot them in at the same price with 10 times the performance, which yeah. is funny to think, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think they're probably going to discontinue them really soon after both consoles come out, But which will be strange for the PS Sony because they've always supported their consoles for probably too long, honestly, and from some perspectives, but... Well, they, it made sense they kept making the PS3 uh, for a little bit. It had a Blu-ray player. It was like $180. Yeah. And it didn't have backwards compatibility. So that was the George Foreman grill model. Mm -hmm. So that made some sense. But anyways, moving on. Steak and Chicken Man writes it, and he says, Your thoughts on the industry running out of GDR5? What will happen to Polaris? I think we answered that already, Steak and Chicken Man. Could this force AMD into selling RDNA2 entry cards for $150? Well, the fact is they can whenever they want. The RX 5500, I'm sure, is making a nice big fat profit. I don't think AMD would mind right now dropping the price to like 120 for the 4 gigabyte and 160 for the 8 gigabyte. Boom, they replaced the 580. Yeah, and as far as RDNA 2 cards, I don't know. They could, they could just keep going with their older lineups. They could just keep selling the 5500 XT when RDNA 2 comes out if there isn't a lower end uh Maybe. I think they have too. the money to just completely redesign their whole lineup now. Hopefully they do. Well, I don't understand either. Like, you know, what are they going to do about what? They'll just make another card and sell it. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that's that. I mean, Polaris is old. What's going to happen to Polaris? It's old. I don't. I doubt they are making it still. I don't know why they would be. Seven, uh, TSMC continues to increase capacity. AMD's bought up tons of 7 nanometer capacity. Probably for this. Polaris is pretty damn old now. So, yeah, I, I think that's been like the theory for a while is they're kind of just getting rid of old inventory of Polaris, right? Yeah. Hey, this is Tom cutting in right as I'm putting together the timestamps and preparing this episode for you guys. It didn't occur to me while I was recording the podcast, but it is now, and I think it's it's worth adding this in. You know, DDR5 has an operating voltage of 1.1 volts, and GDR5's is 1.5 volts, and GDR6's is in between there. So if you think about it, DDR5 is going to start going into production right about now, and it should be in... Zen 4 and Alder Lake Golden Cove products next year. So 
If it goes up to 8400 megahertz, if it can get as fast or even faster, arguably, than GDR5, why would you keep producing GDR5? It'd be better to transition into producing DDR5 that uses less voltage, which would be better for budget cards anyways, early, wouldn't it? I mean, GDR5 has been around a long time, so I just thought I'd throw that out there, everybody, with these GDR5 shortages, that a lot of it is probably a tactical transition for these companies to just abandon a very, very old legacy memory standard in favor of the new standard, getting ahead, making DDR5 now, because that's what's going to start going into those budget cards like your GT1030s and such very, very soon. All right, back to the show. Well, let us move on. NVIDIA readies the Turing-powered MX450, and this comes from Notebook Check. There are a few places like WCCF Tech that copy pasted their reporting, but I, I found Notebook Checks was pretty damn thorough. I thought they did a good job. So basically, and I find this fascinating, the MX450, the 350 came out a week ago. So it sounds like the MX450 will come out within two months, like that they're just rushing this out. This. This is what the 350 should have been. For Christ's sakes, you guys. They rebranded Pascal MX cards for three gens. How does that work? Uh, <laughs> what were they thinking? Did they really think Renoir would be, or even Ice Lake would be that weak? I'm curious. That They must have just completely underestimated what both Renoir and, uh, I, uh, even Ice, and Lake. Ice Lake would be. Yeah. Or, and, and Tiger Lake. To, to a worse extent, Tiger Lake. And Which is going to possibly be as good as the 450 anyways. Yeah, I, I don't know. It baffles me why they even put the 350 out to begin with. Like, they just thought they oh, could yeah. get away with it. I, yeah, and, and, and the 350 was limited to 15-watt models. There's no 10-watt anymore, mm -hmm. which for me was the whole point of the MX series. The fact that you could put a, and I think the 150 had 8-watt models. The fact that you could put a 8 to 10 watt card next to a 15 watt i7 and be like, oh, doesn't matter what AMD APU there is, this is better. But if you can't do that, I'm not sure who this is for. Yeah. And based on like some of the notes, I mean, maybe there were issues with scaling the 1650 to the MX form factor. Well, yeah, let's get into that too, because Notebook Check put some interesting information. So to be clear, if you want to know quickly how to think of an MX450, it is a highly underclocked GTX 1650 that is a 64-bit instead of 128-bit interface. But because it uses GDR6, they can put one 4-gigabyte GDR6 chip on there, which I always love that design about the MX cards as well because they took up so little room because you only had to put one stack of GDR5 on there. Mm -hmm. So now they get one stack of GDR6. So it's a 4-gigabyte card, which is enough for this class of graphics cards, I believe. And... But what's really funny is uh, <laughs> the base clocks and some of the leaked benchmarks I found. Like, one had a base clock of 540 megahertz. Which is what? That's over three times lower than the 1650, right? Uh, not three times. Three, it's okay. half what the 1650 Max-Q is, okay. which is about 1,000-something megahertz. So I do suspect it will boost to seven to 800 megahertz. But um, Notebook Check seems to think both models are 25 watts. When I see a 540 megahertz base clock, I actually think that they may be overlooking that's the MX430, which apparently both the MX430 and the MX450 are, what is it, TU117 based, So, which is the 1650. Yeah. So I think what they're probably going to end up doing 
is make the MX430, because if you look at the packaging too, the MX430 is going to go into the same package size, you know, because there's the die that's put on the package and then mm-hmm. that's put in the laptop. The same basically mini PCB size as the 350 and the 250 were. So this should slot into the same designs. And I do believe the 430 is going to be like a 640 cuticle core, like cut down from 896 version with 540 megahertz base clock. I think they may attempt to go for 10 watts again. And that's why this base clock is so low. I mean, hopefully they can get one of these to 10 uh, watts. And, and if it is, I did the math. This would probably, even the cut down, it turns IPCs higher. You know, 640 would still be almost double. This is what I said in my MX350 video uh, from a month ago, that if they would have made one that's 512 to 640 cores, that's still double what's in the 250. And even if it was clocked lower with the higher IPC with GDR6 on there, I think this will be 10 to 20% better than the MX350 and therefore 10 to like 20% better than Renoir and probably up there with Tiger Lake. So it is possibly the <laughs> MX430 is possibly about as good as what the MX250 was versus Picasso. Okay. Possibly. And I could see how they do this. You know, this is going to be a card they can sell for like 30 bucks with a $35 to $40 six core 12 thread 15 watt i7. Yeah, I could see that competing with lower end Renoir for the same price lower end Renoir is being sold for. It will use more energy, but it will have probably 10, 20% more performance. So with that NVIDIA sticker on there, it does spread out the load a little bit. And I will say this for the MX cards. They do give you extra RAM, right? So now you have four gigabytes of RAM and then 16 gigabytes. You have 20 total in your laptop. So I think the 430 could be okay. And I think the 450 is just going to be like a slightly cut down 1650 at 25 watts. This is their budget card that will be as strong or about as strong as Tiger Lake, a little stronger. But it will only be able to fit into laptops that can fit full cards. So the MX450 would be kind of like that you know, entry-level graphics card choice before you configure your laptop. Yeah, I mean, so hopefully for NVIDIA, they'll be able to hold on to some of their market that they might lose with Renoir and Tiger Lake coming out. But yeah, I I feel bad for people that are buying MX350 laptops right now. The MX350 is just a horrible choice. uh, Everything's okay at the right price. So if you get an MX350 laptop and it comes with a six core, 12 thread i7 or some kind of AMD Picasso APU and the laptop's like 500 bucks. Yeah. Okay. As long as it has an SSD and at least 16 gigabytes of RAM, I guess, I guess, sure. But I doubt it does. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, moving on, Blokes writes in and he says, based on how thermal velocity boost pro TM for Intel works, with frequency drop, where frequency drops off a cliff, the less cores a CPU has. I have a sneaking suspicion that the reason the higher core count Intel CPUs have higher boost clocks is they're using the rest of the mostly inactive CPU cores as a heat sink. That's been a rumor that's been going around, and I don't think that's necessarily far from the truth. You know, folks, I included this reader mail. That's a really interesting point that I haven't thought about before, because that is true. It does seem like the more cores they have, in specific models, they can always legitimately, opportunistically boost higher, kind of like Zen 2. And it is probably because it's using the rest of the die as a heatsink, briefly, for a split second. I mean, 
that wouldn't make sense. I mean, that would make sense. The heat has to go somewhere. It's going to dissipate into the other, CPU to an extent. Die. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, that makes sense. Even if that wasn't an intentional to begin with, that would be a side effect. Yeah. Sage of Geeks writes him, and he says, I'll bet you $20 that Navi and RDNA 2 will run many of the new games better than NVIDIA's next gem. Huh. Um, so when you say Navi and RDNA 2, I think we need to split this bet apart. Do I think RDNA 1 will run games, will age better than Ampere will? I don't know, actually. I think Turing's going to prove to age fine, just it costs too much. And yeah, we've let- no, RDNA, uh, Turing has proven to be pretty good at compute performance. Yeah, and we've yet to even see what Ampere is. So, yeah, so I'm not sure. Will now will Ampere age as well as RDNA 2? I think it's just highly unlikely it can. The consoles use RDNA 2. All of these APUs and AMD is taking market share use RDNA 2. Maybe Ampere will age well. I wouldn't count it out because again. The way Turing and RDNA are organized is actually somewhat similar. And NVIDIA yeah. is putting effort into making Turing. Turing isn't aging horribly um, comparatively. And I actually don't think Pascal is either. None of these are aging as badly as Kepler, which I'm going to do a video <laughs> on very soon, guys. I'm collecting some benchmark information about old architectures. And uh, yeah, guys, Kepler sucks. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Turing will age badly? Um, I mean, I don't think we've seen any, it's not super old yet, but we haven't seen any evidence that it will yet. I mean, it's a pretty capable architecture. It has pretty good compute performance. I don't, I don't know. No. Well, it's like when you look at that, when you look at people say, oh, look at that. The 5700 XT beats the 2080 in this new game, which I see all the time. Yeah. It beat the 2080 in several games at launch guys. Yeah. It has the same amount of bandwidth as the 2080. And it has a little less compute. So I think it's going to end up aging a little stronger than a 2080. But I don't really see it ever beating the 2080 Ti. Will there be a couple games where it does? <laughs> Maybe. But I, I don't I mean, know. And like bandwidth constraints, they're less bad than they were with like Kepler, where Kepler no, was. Turing the, has a lot of bandwidth. Yeah. And Kepler was like the most bandwidth starved gen. Ever. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's what really killed that in addition to. Well, there were a few other things. I think it, I don't want to get into it. Yeah, yeah. We'll save that for the video. But so, yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I think RDNA 1 relatively will age better than Turing because it's connected to RDNA 2. And there are some specific IPC enhancements that I don't think games have really even taken advantage of yet in the 5000 series. And I think they will once the consoles make it standard. But I don't see Turing's performance falling off a cliff with the exception of ray tracing. I've always thought that Turing's yeah. ray tracing performance may age far worse than people expect. We'll see, whatever, because we also don't know what uh, RDNA2's solution is going to be for ray tracing yet. We don't know if it's going to be a similar implementation. There's starting to be some very real hints. Okay. It basically runs the code, from what I understand, in a similar manner. but and, it, and it's kind of organized in a similar way. I just think it's more localized to the compute unit. Like Everything needed for ray tracing is in each compute unit. Oh, I see. And I, it's, I believe. But and it's but all, I don't know for sure, guys. But both are hardware level accelerated, right? So Yeah. We'll see what the yeah, so we'll see, I guess. Yeah, AMD's approach makes a lot of sense to see because the way NVIDIA does it is you can do ray tracing with the 1600 series, and it will ray trace better relatively than its Pascal counterparts. 
but it doesn't have the tensor cores to help with the denoising. So that makes yeah. it about half as good per SM or something, right? As what you'll get out of a tensor core, including Turing card. But I think the way AMD is designing it is each compute unit has the a lot of cash to store data for ray tracing and all the components it needs in each compute unit. And that makes sense when you consider they make APUs. They don't want to have to decide if they're going to cut out tensor cores and APUs. They just want, you know, 24 Saison compute units to be able to do ray tracing like they're 24 compute units. Okay. That's why it would make sense why Amy does that. And you know, Lisa Sue is actually quoted as saying, we will do ray tracing when we can do it from top to bottom in our product line stack. So all of RDNA 2 cards, I think they're going to do a full launch. I think they're going to replace the 5500 XT, the 5700 XT with RDNA 2 counterparts that are about 20% stronger and have ray tracing. And I think their APUs next year all going to have ray tracing. All, I think top to bottom. That's what she said she wants to do. Um, yeah. So your laptop will do ray tracing and hopefully by then devs will stop being stupid with how they implement it, which it, they are getting better at it. Which I guess is the worry is if they're both massively different solutions to the same problem, there's some worry that uh, there will be games that have uh, AMD certified ray tracing and NVIDIA certified ray tracing. From my talks with a few people, there's not much worry about that. They both seem to utilize it in DirectX 12 the same way. Okay, so we so won't see. it should be compatible. So we won't, it, this was a shorter period, but Trez effects versus hair works, I think. <laughs> I don't think you're going to see that. I, again, I just think the way Turing does it is inherently probably a bit weaker. I think yeah. Ampere's will be twice as good per SM, though, at ray tracing. I really do think top, top, top Ampere cards and top RDNA 2 cards may be capable of doing straight up 4K 60 ultra ray traced and in mini games 4K 120 hertz with certain settings turned on, like some kind of DLSS solution to help that, too. Yeah. Anyways, let us move on. Story number four. The Acer Swift 3 could bring Ryzen 4000 eight cores to the masses at $630. Quoting from Tech Power Up, at an MSRP of $629, the upcoming Acer Swift 3 could be a typical implementation of the Ryzen 7 4700U processor. For those who don't know, this is the eight core, eight thread uh, Ryzen pro uh, Renoir processor. A notebook with just that processor and no discrete graphics cards yields a battery life running of up to 11.5 hours. It comes with an SSD and a full HD IPS screen too, I believe. So yeah, I, I added this as a story not to like plug Acer or anything, but just to kind of highlight, like this is the point of Renoir. Renoir uses about a third of its die for graphics. It usually would use half. And it does that so that you can either use the cut down Renoir cards which these Renoir a APUs are 150 millimeters squared. They're cheap. They can just put those in cheap laptops. And there's like not that much Intel can do to compete with this. Like, I don't think IceLake is getting this cheap. So yeah, this is an eight core, eight thread APU with seven compute units, but it still performs about a little better than an MX250 based on leaked benchmarks, like 10% better than an MX250. And that's it, $600 laptop now that can have that. And then again, they'll use the full eight core yields not because they have more compute units, uh, but they don't really care that it has more compute units and the stronger yields. It's just a small eight core that they compare with a dedicated card. So what did you think about this? Um, the, I mean, this seems pretty in line with what I would think like the 4700U or lower end laptops, Renoir laptops would have. Um, I mean, this is kind of what I was hoping to see come out of Renoir when I saw the initial 
unveiling of what it would be. So I'm ex- maybe I'll, I, I'm excited to see what uh, other products come out with uh, the like 4700U or I don't know 4800 without a discrete graphics card would have. Yeah, I think the one I would target is something like. I think Renoir will be at its best if you can get it paired. And what I would want personally is a 4800U, the 15 watt model Mm -hmm. with like a 2070 max Q, (laughs) you know, so that's like the 65 watt one. Because then you have a 15 watt processor and a 65 watt graphics card. Yeah, I mean, 80 watts total, they could they could fit that in a thin and light. Yeah, that's true. I don't care if it throttles as long as it doesn't yo-yo the frame rate all over the place. <laughs> that's something that happened with my MX-150 that was in fucking ridiculous, guys. Like, it literally would jump in Battlefield 1 between 60 and 30 hertz, 20 hertz back and forth because of throttling. It just run it lower then. Just yeah. run it lower and stop the yo-yoing. If they could do that, though, that's what I'm excited about. I'm not really interested in the 35-watt APU. I'm sure... The 15-watt Renoir is more than enough gra- processing power for the graphics card, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. But otherwise, yeah, if I'm not going to get a dedicated card, I'm much more interested in like the 4600U, which is the 6-core 12-thread, and the 4700U. Because I don't, you know, I think that's where you're going to get these $600 laptops that have an SSD, that have a half a terabyte SSD, 16 gigabytes of RAM, and can still run barely all AAA games. For half the price of a laptop I just described. Less than yeah. half the price of the laptop I just And think about it. I think a 4600U sounds more interesting possibly than the 4700 I think I would choose that too. I don't know. AMD wouldn't call it the 4700U unless they thought it will outperform the other one, I guess. Yeah, that is interesting because you would think... I would think 6 cores, 12 threads would outperform 8 cores, 8 threads. But Well, that's what Intel did. Remember, they went i7-8700K yeah. to 9700K, and the 9700K generally outperformed it. But, you know, Amy's hyper-threading works better than Intel's, so I really would target the 6-core, 12-thread. Yeah. That's the, with 7 compute units. That's the one I would want. Actually, I think it has 6 compute units, though. So you're giving up a compute unit. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, let us move on to story number 5. Report AMD Ryzen 4000 desktop CPUs arriving in September, according to a few sources. And this comes from Tom's Hardware, according to DigiTimes. And it's an exclusive DigiTimes source. That's why I had to use Tom's Hardware, guys. DigiTimes sources claim that AMD's original plan was to reveal Ryzen 4000 series, codenamed Vermeer, desktop processors at Computex 2020 in May. But Computex has been pushed to September. Vermeer is rumored to take advantage of AMD's next-gen Zen 3 microarchitecture, and given AMD's relationship with TSMC, the chipmaker will likely continue to leverage the foundry's production capabilities for these chips, except this time around, AMD could exploit TSMC's enhanced 7 nanometer process. And uh, yeah, this is what I reported two months ago. Like that, that this that Zen 3 was planned to be announced kind of in the back-to-school season and roll out at the very end of the year for the holiday season. What do you have to say about this? Well, I mean, it's a little late for the back-to-school season, but given all the delays, I guess they just have to push back their announcement. And I, I mean, what, this is almost exactly a year after Zen 2 was it would be right? like a, It'd be like a year and a couple, a few months. Yeah. Huh. So pretty Which sounds right. That's always what I expected from Zen 3. Everyone's like, well, Zen 3 can't come out a year after Zen 2. That's too quick. It's not. It's coming like a year and a half-ish after Zen 2, which considering there's no Zen 2 Plus, that makes sense. It would be accelerated. It's also less revolutionary of an upgrade. 
So I don't, so again, it, it's, you know, it's not inventing the chiplet design. It's just redesigning the CCX, yeah. increasing IPC and increasing efficiency. So it's a way bigger deal than Zen Plus, but it's not as big as Zen 2 over Zen 1. So it makes, but it's also not a year later. It's a little, a year and some change later. I, this is all in line with what I expected the, and, since and, I started my channel. And it should be in line with what you hope, would expect it. Like, this is the general time frame of when we see new gens come out, or it should be as a year, a year to a year, 18 months usually. Like, I don't think a year late, a year and three months is some insane time frame. <laughs> no. And another interesting thing is that Renoir desktop leaks have popped up again. So I really think, and they already call Renoir on laptop the 4000 series. Yeah. So I do. Oh, and let me add on to this too. I've been told by a couple of sources that they've kind of canceled X670, that they're just going to work on continuing to make X570 and make it cheaper. So I think what you're going to see is new X570 boards continue to be innovated on over this year, a little bit here and there, and they'll launch Renoir Ryzen 4000 APUs probably in four months, depending on the supply chain with what's going on out there. And then they'll probably, so yeah, if that's four months from now, so yeah, in like August, and then a month after Renoir comes out on desktop, they'll launch Zen 3. I'm curious if they're going to call it the same, if they're going to like name it the same line then, if they're calling Renoir 4000. No, yeah, I, yeah, so I think they will. Yeah. But just like Picasso right now is the 3000 well, series for APUs. Yeah, given that Renoir goes all the way up to eight core, it's, uh, yeah, that would be what you would think would be the low end for. Yeah, you're right. They're desktops. And you know what? This is perfect. Because this is what me and you talked about. When are we getting Renoir on desktop? And I'm like, I don't think right now. I don't know how you position this with Picasso quad cores next, and then next to six cores. I really think what they're going to end up doing is Renoir is going to come out, and you'll have like the 4500G. I think it's going to be eight cores and 16 threads. And I think the 4500... And then the 4400G will be like the $120 one, and that will probably be six cores, 12 threads. And that's where mm -hmm. you're finally going to get your $120 six core, 12 thread that's brand new. And Renoir is a bit better than Zen 2, I think. It's pretty clearly a perform. It punches above its yeah. weight class. Yeah. So does. I'm excited to see how this will work when it's unconstrained at like 65 watts. But then above that, I think you're going to get, I think, we don't know for sure, but I think you'll get the Ryzen 5 4600, $200. Eight cores, 16 threads. And then I think you are going to get the 4700. I'm not sure, but I think I do. I wouldn't rule out the 4800 being 12 cores now, basically, is what I'm saying. Like moving core counts up per peg a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll see. And, I, don't and I think know Renoir coming to desktop as the 4000 series right before Zen 3 kind of suggests that. Because mm -hmm. no, no, they're just starting at eight cores, yeah, guys. Eight co yeah. <laughs> like it's about time they do that, too. Yeah, so that's very exciting. And uh, <laughs> let's get to some reader mail here. Blokes writes him, another interesting consideration on Zen 3 beyond this specifically worded not a massive increase in singular thread, he, it's all caps, <laughs> performance is its performance. And I want to say the reason um, he put in all caps singular thread, I'm pretty sure Blokes did that because he's saying it might have 10 to 15% single core application IPC increase. But there's nothing saying it won't have a 20% IPC increase when all cores are used. It might be better oh, distributing see. loads than Zen 2, which mm -hmm. with how they're redesigning the CCX, probably. So I think you could still see 20% IPC uh, increases in multiple 
things. I mean, w- w- like we were saying with Renoir, didn't we kind of see some evidence of that with Renoir already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> Renoir is kind of almost a Zen 2 plus with less cash. So Yeah, I mean, yeah, actually, that's probably a good way to put it. And then he goes on and says, Zen Plus had a struggle zone of around 1766 to 1833 megahertz fabric clock. Zen 2 has the struggle zone at about 1900. And mayhaps we shall see it increase with Zen 3. I think that's, yeah. I think it's common sense as they use 7 nanometer enhanced with Zen 3 that they'll continue to increase that fabric clock and that will continue to reduce latency and increase performance as well next to the other things they do with the architecture. Like, yeah, my, my 3950X had a fabric clock of 1900 megahertz. Like, it was nothing. And I know that it was pretty rare to get above 1800, the Zen Plus. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on his reader manual, Dan? Um, no. <laughs> okay. Currently, I am in the process of breaking down my mining rigs. It's just not profitable anymore, and I want to use some of the spare parts, plus a few new ones, to build my first benchmarking station. Now, what most people might not be able to guess is that my mining rigs all used windows and ones with legitimate keys. But getting those legitimate keys was a hassle. I was forced to scour eBay and be discerning and making sure that the people selling those $10 Windows keys weren't a scam. And sometimes the keys didn't work and I had to fight for my money back. But you don't have to if you go to CDK Offers. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description Okay, and speaking of Zen 3, it is going to destroy what we're talking about in the next story. And that is number six. 10-core Intel Comet-like CPUs draw the same power as an RTX 2080. This comes from PC Gamer. Quote, if you want to get a consistent turbo clock speed out of your new 10-core Intel Comet-like processor, you're going to need some serious cooling. And a monster power supply, too. Because at peak performance, the CPU alone at full boost, can draw 224 watts. And that's higher than the TDP of an NVIDIA RTX 2080 graphics card. And NVIDIA's TDPs are real TDPs. And actually, close to real. Actually, they tend to use a bit more than the TDP. Actually, I'll say that. And actually, about what we've measured in terms of peak 2080 board power, too, which is dot, 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 a lot even for a desktop processor. And a freshly leaked screenshot, actually, I added on here, of the Core i9-10900F, one of the 10 core chips. So, you know, this is a, maybe a little cheaper one. Graphics Silicon inside it. It's the version without graphics. Now shows the PL1 and PL2 power ratings of 170 watt for all core turbo. And the TDP for this was 65 watts, right? Um, or, yeah. I, so, 
I don't know how much to say about that. Uh, clearly, they're just trying to sustain. Oh, no, no, no. The, no the, I think that the TDP of the nine, the ten nine hundred F okay. will be one twenty five. Okay. They're also going to have a ten nine hundred non F or K, and that one supposedly, I think that one has ninety five watts now. Okay. So those TDP a base clock of two point four gigahertz though with that ninety five watt. Oh, so yeah, good thing those turbo boost clocks don't use any more power, right? Mm-mm. <laughs> nope. Yeah, and I mean, it, it gets worse. I added another article in here, too, that shows that, and I keep seeing this pop up, the i9-10900K, that's the top-end 10 core from Comet, like, tends to lose to the 3900X. When the funny thing is, it loses to the 3900X, of course, in multi-core. It's two fewer cores. Even though it's yeah. clocked like 10, 20% b- faster at all core boost. And it uses about double the energy. Even in single core, it tends to win by like 5 to 10%. Well, I can't remember. How is, uh, how is IPC, the IPC of Coffee Lake like, compared to Zen 2 when it came out? I mean, look, you know, the 9900, let's compare the 30, I've done this only, the 3800X, the 9900K. The 9900K yeah. single core is like 5% better, but it's clocked. When it's boosting, it definitely boosts at least 10% higher. So it's like 15% higher boosting typically for sustained single core boost. And it is 5% better. And yeah, like Zen 2 is 10% higher IPC than Skylake. And, yeah, and almost so. Ice Lake IPC. Ice Lake, I'd say, is a 5% IPC advantage, roughly, about over Zen 2. And remember, I know I'm throwing out numbers that aren't entirely consistent. That's because it depends on the app, guys, you know. There are some well, things yeah. where Ice Lake has a crazy IPC increase. I've seen some where Ice Lake APUs beat Picasso in single-threaded performance and like handbrake by like 50%. So some things Ice Lake's really good at. But this isn't Ice Lake. This is yet another Skylake rebrand. And as I covered in several videos, I literally have sources in Intel saying, don't buy our 14 nanometer products anymore. They're <laughs> terrible. Well, I don't know why you would buy any of them at this point. Hold off until what? Alder Lake maybe? Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I think Rocket Lake will be much, much, much better than Comet Lake. You know, it's a Willow Cove port, but it's still on 14 nanometers. So I I know it's still probably going to be 125 watts for eight cores, but I think it will have like 20% higher IPC. Okay. So that's something at least. But yeah, I mean, again, I was told expect Rocket Lake to beat Comet Lake at everything, even the eight core versus the 10 core. And I'll have 10 nanometer Z graphics, supposedly. Yeah, the only thing with Rocket Lake that I'm like, how long will that even be around for before? It's a good question. And that's something, again, I covered, which what video was that? I forgot, but it was one of my bigger videos where I was talking about how it may have been Tiger Lake, my, my Tiger Lake video, um, which Dan's laughing because I used the, like a Tiger King reference for the thumbnail, which I'm still very proud of putting <laughs> the CEO of Intel's face on Joe Exotic holding a tiger. But, um, I mean, the fact is Comet Lake was supposed to come out beginning of this year. It won't. It's going to come out halfway. I know it's going to be announced this month, guys, but it's basically not out till June is what I'm told. So halfway through this year is when Comet Lake's coming out. It's like five months delayed because of power usage issues that they've still seemingly only half fixed. <laughs> like, And then Rocket Lake is supposed to come out at the end of this year, but they're going to try to push it up to quarter three if they can. And then Tiger Lake launches around then as well. Mm-hmm. And then Tiger Lake 8 cores the beginning of next year. And then Alder Lake's late next year. So you're going to see a lot a hodgepodge of stuff. What I really find interesting is if they actually got Tiger Lake out on desktop too. To complement um, Rocket Lake. That would be interesting. 
Yeah, that would be interesting. It would surprise me, kind of like Broadwell when Haswell was out. Like there were two months where they actually had Tiger Lake CPUs. Oh, I guess that's true. There could be like a, a short uh, Tiger Lake Gen 4 desktop. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Anything else to uh, add to these Comet Lake stories? I mean, I don't know how much more I have to say. It's just not, it's not good, guys. No. All right, then let us move on to story number seven. Speaking of Alder Lake, Intel Alder Lake. 10 nanometer desktop CPUs reportedly launched in 2021 with a complete 7 nanometer product portfolio in 2022. And uh, yeah, to be honest, I don't have that much to say. There were some leaked slides from Intel showing 10 nanometer Alder Lake, Tiger Lake coming out next year. Well, Tiger Lake's coming out this year, but and then 10 nanometer Ice Lake Server, um, DG1 coming, uh, DG2 coming on 10 nanometer as well. I mean, uh, what I would honestly say this WCCF Tech article says is basically everything I've been saying since October consistently. 10, 2020, late 2020 through 2021 is the 10 nanometer era. That'll be the brief 10 nanometer era. In 2022, it sounds like it really will be the start of Intel 7 nanometer. And they may even get some specific 7 nanometer products out at the end of 2021. But I think Alder Lake is still just 10 nanometer plus plus. It should be pretty good, I think, relative to their other products. Again, will it be better than Zen 4? <laughs> My doubts. But I think it will be very, very good. Um, don't buy 14 nanometer products. And I wish people would give me credit for what I've been reporting <laughs> for months. Do you have anything to say, Dan? No, not too much. I mean, this is stuff we've been seeing for a while now. Um, yeah, I don't know. And again, all this tile stuff pretty much too. I think they might get a couple of dual tile designs out possibly next year on 10 nanometer. But my understanding is don't expect any of the four tile high performance stuff. And they might not even technically use tiles. It might just be single die designs because they have massive power draw problems right now. Oh, yeah. they Yeah, Remember, I forgot about yeah. the thing I reported on that no one gave me credit for again. Which makes me think two tile designs. Well, I guess that would be might be OK for what that would be pretty low end discrete. GPUs though, right? Um, or would that just two tile? Would that still be just on APUs? No, two tile would be discrete. Okay. What do you think I should do, Dan? Should I start annoyingly putting exclusive in all of my video titles? I or don't just know. hope that eventually people notice. <sighs> I don't know. The exclusive stuff has always came off as a little annoying to me, pretentious but... and like and like bullshitty. It's a little bullshit. A lot of channels I'll, use the exclusive title on their YouTube videos to like get you to click on it, and then I'll read it, and someone else has already reported on it. And how can I know possibly for sure if no one else has talked about it? Is one thing that I find really pretentious about putting exclusive. Yeah, and it's because it's not like you have a bunch of official sources or like Intel is calling you and saying like, "Hey, this well, is- I can't. I refuse. I, I like it not having." Uh, like, oh, Roger Kadori called me. Like, yeah, nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Uh, the exclusive thing has always come off as a little meh to me because, you, like you said, you can't really say for sure if you're the first person to say something. I mean, who knows? Maybe a smaller YouTuber somehow caught wind of it earlier on or what something else. But yeah, the one, yeah, the only thing I'll say is, you know, this is where it's like, please, you know, this is when legitimately share our podcasts and videos, guys. Like when this pops up on WCCF Tech, this is when, and I don't want you guys to be annoying and just spam stuff because I think that happened for a while and not 2019 and made Reddit hate me. But you know, like if I've reported on something for months, make 
I, I do appreciate when you share it when it's reported on for a second time and they don't give me credit. Like, no, he already said this, guys. Mm-hmm. Which did happen with my Zen 3 reporting, which I did appreciate. That helped me a lot. So, yeah, so just remember to share our stuff um, so that eventually people take me seriously when I report on things half a year before everyone else. <laughs> Anyways, uh, story number eight. Microsoft reportedly delays the Surface Neo beyond 2020. This comes from The Verge, and I quote, The company is said to have shifted its focus to get Windows 10X to run well on single-screen devices like laptops and two-in-ones. The Surface Duo, the dual-screen Android phone that Microsoft announced alongside the Lakefield, Intel Lakefield-based Neo, is apparently unaffected so far. So I thought this was a weird story. So those who don't know, the Microsoft Surface Neo... And the Duo. This is that cool folding surface kind of notebook phone hybrid. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in it <laughs> because uh, one of them had Lakefield and it could run a, a, a full version of Windows, Windows 10X. Like a, or like, like it's a, a streamlined ver- ver- it, version of Windows. Yeah, it could use x86 applications. You could install them and run them. Yeah. So that is insane if I could fold something over like in Westworld and call someone on a phone and then flip it up like a baby laptop. And then play games on it. Yeah, I want to play Half-Life 2 on my phone, I keep saying. How big was the Neo supposed to be? Do you remember? Like a big phone or I guess? Um, a little bigger than my, like a, like a six-inch phone or seven-inch phone that folds in half. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. I, but if it can run like a full laptop, I will take the bigger space. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an interesting design. I'm curious what they mean by trying to get it to run well on single screen devices uh, like prioritize that bullshit excuse to me yeah i don't know because you think uh, i guess i don't know how android one works so what yeah i don't know how altered it is also from windows 10 or or whatever but yeah yeah i don't know i think that there's a chance this is true that Microsoft decided it, they were having, I mean, because look how long it, I mean, look, Windows 8 was practically a beta for Windows 10. Like, it took them so long to get, like, the touchscreen, like, two-in-one thing working well. It wouldn't surprise me if they did legitimately need more time to make sure. Because, like, think about a two-screen design that runs full Windows. Like, how confused some applications might get. Yeah, I guess especially if some of those, if it's designed to, in certain configurations, run them as if it's one screen it would want to be that hard though it's like a seven inch laptop so when it folds out and it should be able to sense with like the the gyroscopic you know sense yeah yeah that you're setting it up like a laptop and typing on it that shouldn't be hard for it to understand and when it's you know being held vertically with the like kind of like a book i don't see why it shouldn't be able to just yeah i don't know i don't i don't know that i buy that they couldn't figure this out this to me kind of points to Lakefield maybe being vaporware, oh, which would yeah. really depress me because Lakefield looks sick. Well, we know we know Lakefield's popped up in benchmarks being tested, so I don't think it's vaporware. But I wonder if it's a combination of Lakefield needing more time to cook or not. Maybe yeah, I not. don't know. I, I don't know why it would need more time to cook, but well, it's a three D stacked. That's true. Super foray <laughs> into an interesting type of building a processor, so that might be why. But. Yeah, and maybe if it's undercooked so far, maybe Microsoft is nervous about putting that in a $1,500 phone. <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm not saying Lakefield is necessarily the problem, but I thought Microsoft's explanation was weird either way. 
Yeah, we don't know. And I'm sad. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool product at a minimum. Okay, and let us move on to number nine. So I titled this Adore TV Turns Into a Whistleblower. And this is Adore's latest video. It's just called Inside Intel. And basically, I mean, I would sum it up by saying he summarizes his more negative insider information he's been sent. Negative towards working at Intel, what it's like to work at Intel. The one thing in it that really bothered me was the idea that they're holding green cards over people who moved to the country to work for Intel, right? Yeah. And like uh, threatening to fire them uh, if they don't basically do more work than their blue badge counterparts, which isn't an unheard of practice in any big company, to be honest. Um, but yeah, Dan, did you watch this? What do you think about it? Uh, I haven't had the chance to watch it yet, but well, you were part of it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. You always have to consider the, you have to consider, always consider the, uh, perspective people are coming from who are telling you this type of information. Uh, like disgruntled workers might just be reporting because they're unhappy with, I don't know, being fired for some one reason or another. I mean, yeah, obviously holding green cards over, uh, yeah, over uh, foreign employees is a fucked up practice. But it's kind of a practice that's a little implicit in any person that that's is true. a green it's card kind holder of for a job. Happening right if you. Like, right, if you work for a company, it is technically being held over you whether they are allowed to threaten it or not. Yeah. And that's just a fact. If we fire you, you're out of the country. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They don't need to threaten it for it to be true. Yeah, you know, I worked for, as I've said before, openly now, like I worked at General Motors. And, you know, if you were a contract worker, which uh, this isn't a green guard situation, but contract workers are supposed to get more overtime and work longer hours. That's not really how it worked. They basically expected you to work just about as much as everyone else that was a salaried employee, but not get paid as much with as many benefits. Having said that, GM did make a lot of people salaried employees pretty regularly. And it sounded like the way Adored talked about it, they never did. And if that's true, that's fucked up, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, that's all I can really say. You know, I when I was at Hot Chips, I talked to tons of people that worked at Intel and not just high-level people, lower-level people. They seem pretty happy, guys. And uh, the, I have sources that work with people at Intel, quite a few, and some of them say more are definitely more negative about Intel than others. I've never heard, I don't know, I guess maybe I'll say I don't dig for this type of stuff. Yeah, like, I'm not interested in this. I want to know when product launches are and what they think about the products. I'm not interested in like gossip. Yeah, and that, that's the thing is, from on one hand, you're always going to get a percentage of people that work for any institution that are going to be angry about their time working there. Yeah, I mean, so, I've heard negative things about working inside AMD, like it was a grindhouse with not enough pay. I've heard that. Yeah, you hear that at every company, and you also. I don't know how long we're going to talk about the fact that young people get paid less for doing about the equal amount of work as well. Like, it's just, yeah, that's kind of the reality of the situation in almost every company to an extent. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be honest. When I saw, when I was like two minutes into this video, I was like, this is an interesting approach to a video for a door. So I liked how it was different. But I was also kind of like, 
Oh, am I surprised Adored has another anti-Intel video? No, like it's so common from this. So I don't know, you know, and, and it's just like, I, I can tell you guys, I've been able to find negative things about NVIDIA and AMD from former employees as well. So there's always half of the people that leave the company are probably going to be negative. Yeah. And you also have to think, um, okay, is there the potential for like strikes going to be organized soon or is there honestly, a class action lawsuit that's going to be filed by employee, former employees of Intel? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the way this is being painted, you know, it's like, I, you know, I don't know. I, I Some of the products Intel launches to this day aren't bad. Yeah. So there's no way they're all a bunch of incompetent people. Yeah. They're not. No, like I've met no. them, and a lot of them are happy to work there. A lot of them say, I love working at Intel, and they have no reason to lie to me. You know, I ask them questions, but I don't dig. I'm not always basically throwing out shooting flares in the air. Who's Who can send me the most negative thing about Intel? Yeah. But yeah, so that's all I will say. There's some pretty serious stuff alleged in this video. If it's true, something should be done about it, because that's basically what this was, is a whistleblower video. Well, and you also have to consider the fact that is this a is this endemic to the company of these issues or is there one division are, or, division or there yeah. is there scattered managers that are shitty like I've heard. I'm sure there still are. And yeah, I've been told that. Yeah, there's shitty managers at the middle and, management at Intel. A lot of them are still the old way of thinking of stupid. Like, yeah, I've been told that guys. I can certainly testify or, to that. Or like I have a friend from college. This isn't Intel at all. This is just another company. I won't say the company, but uh he knew a guy that worked for a company and they had to make he the manager would write all the his employees names on a whiteboard every week. And he would say he would move them around. And he would say, bottom 10 percent of you are fired every week. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. But yeah, there's bad. There's managers that do bad shit in every company. And it's an unfortunate another unfortunate reality. Yeah, so I, I don't know that I have much more to add to this, but I did want to add it as its own story because this is definitely some pretty big stuff in there. Yeah, and I guess I'll say if it's endemic to the company's culture, I don't want to discount anyone's bad story. If like, no, well, and you know, I did a video after Hot Chips, and I touched on it multiple times, and it was like why I'm still worried about Intel. And the whole hot chips thing, the problem I had was the employees seemed happy to work at Intel, like they had plenty of good benefits. But, you know, at hot chips, these would have all been blue badges, probably. Yeah. So let me give you that. And they just seemed oblivious to how bad things were. Hmm. Right? Like, remember with Raja and Jim Keller answering questions? Raja and Jim answered, honestly, from what I could tell. But the person answering the questions, the questions were so the way the questions were asked were oblivious to the competition Intel's dealing with right now. Yeah. It was clear that the the lady asking those questions, who is a real person decently high up at Intel, had no clue how stupid they sounded. And you could see that how just the disdain in Jim and Raja, some of their answers, like just like, well, maybe you guys could start writing code that doesn't suck. <laughs> like, and I really appreciated that. So I guess that's the one thing I will say. The employees that I met were really happy. We're blue badges. And, what, and then I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning of this. The thing that was in Jim's reporting that really got to me is the green card and the, the other badge stuff. I don't know that I buy into Intel being as incompetent as this video paints it anymore. But again, I mostly talk to blue badge people. So 
it wouldn't surprise me if I have not seen this part of the company that might be abusing contract workers. And yeah, that's serious, and that needs something needs to be done about it. Yeah, and if there if there is a widespread abuse, or even if it's just several man, bad managers, those managers should be rooted out. Well, let us move on. So that's all of the stories. Um, we will now close up with some more reader mail. We've got some pretty fun ones here: some console stuff, some monitor talk. Let us get into it. Johnny D94 writes in and he says, Hello there. I was wondering what would be the smarter long term investment. I would like to pre order, uh, I know I shouldn't be pre ordering, but I would like to pre order maybe an Eve Spectrum monitor. So that's, that's what I've been reporting on. That's that IGZO IPS 144 hertz 4K display for 600 bucks mm-hmm. that's not out yet. So it's impressive if it's out now. But that's why I haven't pre-ordered it. But he says, I'm torn between the 1440p 240Hz version and the 4K 144Hz version. I would not mind spending the extra money if it's a better long-term monitor, though. So first of all, I don't recommend pre-ordering anything because OLED is getting cheaper. And now we have things like mini-LED coming out, which sounds better than any of these you know, IPS displays. Mm-hmm. So... By the time this comes out for $600, it wouldn't surprise me if there was like an Asus mini LED that's about the same price or an OLED yeah, that's LG monitor. It's at the end of this year, guys. When when is was it projected to come that's out? Like December. October? December? Yeah. Why would I pre-order uh, something? I mean, so what I would immediately say is if it's coming out nine months from now, I don't see why you would pre-order it yet. Um, I, yeah, like you said, I don't like the idea of pre-ordering that much um and i don't see what benefit you're getting out of it unless there's some projected supply issue for eve once they ramp up actual production to non-pre-order consumers (laughs) yeah now what do you think about the idea of 144 hertz 4k versus 244 hertz 1440p um both hdr i believe my immediate thought would be 4K 144 hertz, I think. Why? Um, well, so things I know right now, 4K, great benefit over 1440p. 144 hertz, great benefit over two, 60 hertz. I don't know what monitor he has right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 240 hertz over 144 hertz. I'm not sure how big of a benefit you get out of that. I've never seen 240 hertz before. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much better it is. I don't know if I have. So, and this is something I talked with Tim, the way I would sum it up. And he, he Tim from Hardware Box agreed with this statement. The difference between 144 hertz and 60 hertz is about the feeling from 40 hertz to 60. It's not 30 to 60. Yeah. I'd say it's 40 to 60. The difference between 144 hertz to 240 hertz feels kind of like 100 to 144. It's it's not that noticeable. And there's plenty of times where if you have a locked, dead-on, locked 100 hertz, feels as good as some games that run at 144 hertz and jump around to 130, doesn't it? So, well, I don't know. You haven't played on my monitor and enough to probably comment, but that's I think, what I would say. I think if he's planning on keeping this monitor for five to six years, I think the more likely standard six years from now is 144 4K, not 1440p 240. And I know this may blow some people's minds, but I think it will be easier to run 4K 144 hertz, or not even easier, more realistic you'll be able to run than 240 hertz 1440p. I don't know what 
Like, that's a decently high resolution. And now you'll need basically an overclocked Zen 3 CPU to maintain 240 hertz yeah. and anything but esports titles. So I don't know what games you play, right? If you're an esports gamer, easy, 240 hertz, done. It's oh, yeah, a yeah, question. Yeah. Or if you're someone I know blokes likes low late, really notices low latency a lot. I would say I do too, but there's games that can't even run above 60 hertz. I know I can mod Sekiro now to play above 60 hertz, but I don't know that I want to have to deal with some of my games not. I mean, there are games Battlefield 5 can't run above 200. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think a few years from now that maybe those frame rates limits will be higher, but I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I, I just don't think the feelings is much of a difference. And and I got to tell you guys, I know some people, I, I, I just, and I'm, I'm outspoken that I don't agree with this idea that 1440p is not a big jump to 4K. It's an obvious jump. Like, yeah. It's an obvious difference to me. It's maybe not as big as 720p to 1080p, but it's technically the same ratio. And it feels at least as big as like, feels bigger than 900p to 1080p to me. I mean, I notice when I drop resolution from full 4K to 90% 4K and like the yeah scaling. So yeah, it's it's a jump. <laughs> it, like it's a huge jump to go from 1440p to 4K. And I just think 4K isn't already as hard to run as people act. My Radeon 7 runs Battlefield 5 in 4K 120 hertz. This is not that hard. You just turn down the lighting a bit and I can't even tell the difference. And then you turn off AA done you did it like yeah. that's like there are plenty of triple a games you can run in 4k 100 hertz plus right now on these cards and big V is going to be twice as strong as this <laughs> guys 4k 144 hertz is coming however i don't know that they'll be able to run 240 hertz 1440p i don't know yeah i don't know if your cpu will be strong enough to do that we'll be able to hit 240 hertz in some areas Sure, of course it will be able to. Will it be able to hit 240 hertz in most areas? No, I'll promise you. And I guarantee you're going to have to turn down a shit ton of settings to maintain 240 hertz and 1440p. Yeah, I, probably. It's, over, it's double the... I mean, no. I, I, I just... If you're an esports gamer, that's when 240 hertz makes sense. If you're not, well, too bad, because no game can run 240 hertz. Like, I, I honestly don't see the appeal for most people. Especially not for the time being. I don't see 240 hertz taking over soon. And again, I don't know if you plan on getting any consoles, but they'll be running games at 4K. Movies run at 4K. There's a lot of content in 4K. That's just going to be the new standard. I'm backing away from this idea that, there. well, there's going to be 8K TVs. There already are. But I think that's just going to be for up-resing since the screen's bigger. I think 4K is just going to be the bone standard on everything soon. I think everything's basically going to be 4K pretty quick. There's 4K phones already. My laptop has a 4K screen. Your old laptop, the broke, had a 4K screen. And they weren't even expensive laptops. Yeah, and I think we might see one big uplift to 8K. But after that, I don't know how much more we're going to see. And I, and, I, and, I, and I know that 8K looks better. I can definitely tell the difference. But 1080p to 4K is way more noticeable than 4K to 8K. I would honestly say 4K to 8K kind of looks like 1080p to 1440p. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I definitely would go for the... If you're going to pre-order it now, I would go for the 144 hertz 4K monitor. Yeah. Fatboy Diesel writes in, and he says, Tom, do you think AMD might play with our nostalgia by releasing a 6950 and then a 7970 again? 
Well, there's been rumors they might go with the 950 if they really take the performance crown, just like they did with the 3950. So I don't know. Oh, their processors? Yeah, yeah. I could see an RX 6950X and then a 6950 non X, maybe, but I don't know. We'll Probably see. I not. think that might just confuse. Well, I mean, they're, they have different like prefixes to what they're called, but that might confuse uh, some people. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they like called it the sixty nine like sixty or something if they had to do a top end. But I think they'll just stop at sixty nine hundred XT. That would be my guess. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to do a redo of the seven nine seventy and six nine. You have to remember. Could I see them doing a five nine fifty or fifty eight seventy? Maybe for a special edition. But you have to understand that it's not like their Athlon CPUs or. You know, like these aren't as beloved in people's memories. The uh, 7970 didn't take market share. It basically maintained market share. And the 6950 did about the same. It was really the 5000 and 4000 series that took market share for Radeon. Yeah. So I don't know that there's any prominence. There is in our hearts. Enthusiasts love those cards. And me and Dan plan to do a video, a die shrink on the 6970 and 6950. So I think that was an interesting competition there with Fermi. Um, yeah, Fermi like, kind of ended up winning out of nowhere. And those almost felt like, that felt like the uh, golden age for like uh, GPU overclocking and CPU. But <laughs> Yeah, man, they, the, those 6000 series cards did overclock quite a bit too. Fermi did too. It would just break. <laughs> yes. That's several Talking to you, 560 Ti. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, so I, I don't think they will. Okay, And, and I, I, I want to answer that question because I think it's like you have to remember that I don't think most people remember those names as much. But when like the, the special edition i7-8086K, people remember the 8086. Mm -hmm. But and there just doesn't seem to be the same prominence around in even NVIDIA cards as well. Like, I don't think anyone's just going to remember the. I guess you could do a special edition 8800, which was a legendary card from NVIDIA. But yeah, that would be the only graphics card I can think of that has enough prominence for something like that. 580 had a lot too, I think. But the G it, nowhere near the 8800. Yeah, GTX 580s. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, anyways, Doomberry writes him. Hi, I wanted to correct something. The Tempest engine draws up to 20 gigabytes per second and not 20% of the total bandwidth, which is a lot more reasonable. It's the in the Eurogamer reveal article. But yeah, I don't know if I misquoted that. I heard some experts say that. So maybe they misquoted it and then I misquoted it. But either way, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't surprise me if I mixed up those numbers. That's still a lot of bandwidth for yeah, it's one compute unit basically pulling that much, guys. Also, I, he goes on. Also, I find the rumors about how well the consoles are cooled interesting. From what I understand, some developers are saying the Xbox Series X has the cooling issues, not the PlayStation 5. Well, I searched around and I couldn't find anything substantiating that. Uh, did you see anything? No. I want to be clear. I don't think either console is going to have overheating issues. I just don't think they would ship it like that. You you would hope they wouldn't again, but after the Xbox 360 debacle. But yeah, I haven't seen anything about it either. So no, I I really don't think either console is going to overheat. I don't. I I just think and and you know specifically about the PlayStation Five. One thing I would point out is remember those dev kits? What they look like? Those are real. Those mm -hmm. were real dev kits that look like I don't know V8 engines or whatever. Uh, but that 
was because they were targeting 2.1 to 2.3 gigahertz from the inception of the console, guys. And that dev kit tells you they had good cooling from the start. So I don't know what the final console will look like. Probably a more square modified version of that, I would guess. I'm not entirely sure. But this idea that they're having heat overheating problems, I don't know. I haven't heard anything from anyone who's used a dev kit that it overheats. And it's shaped like that because they were always, again, they were not overclocking it. They always plan for the PlayStation 5 to be clocked this fast. Yeah. So I'm not really worried about either console overheating. If they need to buy more expensive cooling, which I know they do for the PS5, and they did for the Xbox as well, then they will. <laughs> I don't think it's a big deal. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I, just, I do not see them shipping a console that overheats. They, they just, why would they do that? There's no I, reason. I, I don't know why they They're, would. Like, just pay the extra $5 for whatever cooling. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Sony is redesigning it. When people talk about them redesigning um, the, the, the chassis of the PS5, I think it's because people shit on how the dev kit looks so much. So they want to make sure they don't launch something that looks stupid. I'm curious. If, Which is true. People did shit on that, including me. Well, I, I think part of the dev kit, quote unquote, leak was, I think it was partially like a clandestine Sony op to see how people would react to this being the design of the console. Which everyone said not. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone's instantly said no. Anyways, he goes on. This suggests that at a roughly similar power budget, it's harder to keep a lot of CUs running than it is to run fewer CUs at 2.2 gigahertz. Yeah, I don't know about that either. I don't I don't think either way, you know, and I'm kind of looking, you know, he's kind of saying, is it a Microsoft that made the miscalculation with how they designed, with how they went for more compute units clocked lower instead of less clocked yeah. more? I was thinking about that today while we were walking your dog, right before your dog tried to jump in front of a car. Um I was thinking, I think people are like, and it's fanboy arguments. You know, people are like, well, Sony made the miscalculation by assuming RDNA wouldn't scale perfectly. Okay, I don't know about that. And then now I hear someone here saying, Microsoft made the miscalculation by thinking they could clock a bunch of things lower. And it's like, I don't know that either necessarily made a miscalculation. Has anyone considered maybe RDNA 2 is efficient and clocks higher? Is that such a crazy scenario, people? It's just, again, Microsoft went with 40% more compute units. Sony clocked their console 20% higher. Yeah. There's different solutions. Do I think RDNA 2 scales with compute units better than the previous gens? Of course I do. That's well, the entire point. Do I think it's going to be linear scaling? I promise you it fucking won't be. <laughs> but, but we know that there's a good chance. Like, big, big Navi is probably a thing, and... It's probably going to be more than 40 compute units, so... <laughs> well, yeah, but it's not going to scale linearly with compute units. No, I, no I'm not trying and, to suggest and, and, that. And, and people that say RDNA 1 fixed this, no, it didn't. Like, if you look at the 5700 XT to the 5700, it literally is like 11% more performance while having 8% higher clock speeds. So, like, half of its performance increase is the fact that they artificially limited the 5700's clock. And if you look in... If you look in a Radeon Wattman, they don't even let you clock the 5700 as high as a base 5700 XT. Yeah, that's because they know that if you clock them the same, which Digital Foundry did as a test, they perform within like 3% of each other. So those yeah. actually compute units are doing almost nothing in the 5700 XT. Yeah, so I would bet scaling with compute units is going to be better in RDNA 2. But <laughs> Yeah, and RDNA 1 scales better than... RD than GCN. I mean, if you look at the 580 and 570, 
they literally are within like a percent of each other if you mm-hmm. block them the same with the same bandwidth. <laughs> so no, but this idea that it's going to perform 20% more because of that is no. And then its bandwidth is segmented and part of it's slower than the PlayStation's. Again, I stand by it. 7 to 15% rendering advantage, maybe. And they're going to perform the same at launch, guys. And I don't think they're going to cost... Well, they shouldn't cost that much differently, actually. They should The Xbox costs about $20 more to make, but it wouldn't surprise me if they got cocky and put $500. That's just what it sounds like to me. But at the end of the day, I don't think either console is going to overheat. I don't... And and again, I want to posit this theory, guys. Maybe neither of them made a miscalculation. Maybe one's just less clocked lower and one's more... I mean, one's less clocked higher and one's more clocked lower. Maybe they both perform the same, but one needed a little more expensive cooling, but they're going to use about the same amount of energy. I, 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 really, I really think they're going to perform the same, guys, and I don't think either are going to break. If they do, that'd have sucked, but I don't think they will. Would no. you agree? I don't, yeah. I don't see either of them being that dumb. No, I, I, I don't either. Uh, I think both of them have gotten their act together more as time has gone on, so... All right, and Sage of Geeks writes in, and he sends this, uh, he says, do you guys see this leaked OS on the PS5? Here's a link and tell me if you think it is legit. So he sent this uh, Twitter video of it's supposedly a PS5 booting up into the OS. And I'm just going to say it right off the bat, dude, this was, this was put out on April 1st. And it's definitely fake. Yeah, use the PlayStation 1 splash screen, which doesn't really make any sense to me for a final console. And then also it shows The Last of Us Part 2 and someone asking in his friends list, want to play The Last of Us 2 online? Yet, Last of Us 2 doesn't have it online. They're at least, that, well, they, they said they're working on it, but the Not, online wouldn't boot. I don't think the online will right boot Right now the it game. doesn't have one. Yeah. So and, this idea of friends asking them to get on it is hilariously bullshit. And also, I think it's funny, like, I think you see the guy's profile name in this. So oh, they would yeah. immediately be able to connect who it is. And also, I don't know if Tom is as convinced that PS5 dev kit in the video looks fake to me. <laughs> oh, it is fake. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't rule out. Dan has a problem with me thinking it might be about the size of a PS4. I wouldn't rule it out, although I think it's, it's going to be bigger than the PS4 Pro, though. I do. I, I'm just saying, if you look at the perspective, it, it doesn't look that crazy to me. I think it looks a little smaller than it would be in real life, but you said GameCube size. It's bigger than a GameCube. Ah, it looks like the size of a GameCube. GameCube couldn't even fit a full disc. It's I like know. It's this big. That's why I'm saying this looks big to me. All right, Dan has no depth <laughs> perception. That's what we fucking learned tonight. <laughs> but no, uh, Sage of Geeks, this is definitely fake. We agree on that. Yeah. This is a guy showing off his rendering skills, and I want to say this. Maybe this is how the PS5 will work. Maybe this is how the OS screen will work. Will look. But this video is not real. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we can say. Um, and, I, and again, I just think there's no chance the final console looks like the dev kits because everyone shit on that. Yeah. And I think the delay is them having to buy a new cooling system that fits in the new design, guys. Again, that's what I think is going on behind the scenes. Well, then, that did it. Uh, do you have any last minute thoughts? Anything to say to people on this, on this God's Day of Easter? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, there's a new uh, die shrink out. It, uh, we go over micro LED and a bunch of other console thoughts in there as well, based on reader mails. We have more things coming out. Uh, we did one on Bulldozer that we're gonna that still needs to be edited. 
We're going to do one on uh, climate change and green energy because you guys want us to do more science stuff. And we're going to do one on the 6970, like we said. And probably the I want to do one of the OG Titan card for sure. Yeah. So we got lots more die drinks coming out. I'm going to hope to get the fiber states out pretty quickly after this broken silicon drops. And otherwise, I don't know. Stay safe, folks. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone. All right. See ya. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Spalik, Jordan Bechter, Muhammad Al-Khwari, Frederick Lau, Griffith, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, the Mechanical Philosopher, Libo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Schof, Sadler Sadler, Richard Cohagen, Alethros, Telos, Hyde and Picknell, Greg T. Wanchek, Jacob Barber, X Sodi, Wani Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jen Rauner, Robert Ducks, Edward Huff, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewart, Harold P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, James Crasta, Hector Santana, Brad Medlin, Andrew S. VI Pass, Total Silo, and TSP CFS. And thank you to Sahara for the music. Mm-hmm.